0: Thank you for listening to the Abundant Life Sermon Podcast. Abundant Life is based out of Lee Summit, Missouri and has campuses throughout the Kansas City metro area and online. We want to see your life changed by Jesus. For more information about Abundant Life or for locations and service times, visit livingproof.co. Thanks for listening. Good morning, church. So good to see you once again, wherever you're gathering with us from. We're so glad you've gathered with us right now. My heart is full. What a weekend we've already had. Leadership Summit, I am just so thankful for the hundreds and hundreds of people that are kingdom leaders at Abundant Life, accepting the mantle of leadership, focused on kingdom priorities, living for the things that matter, that last forever, It is a joy to be a part of what God is doing. I'm so thankful for each of you. We've been studying the life and leadership of Moses. If you've never heard of Moses, he's the one that God used to deliver the nation of Israel out of captivity in Egyptian tyranny about 1400 BC, and then lead them on a journey to a place God promised, a land that would flow with milk and honey. Deuteronomy chapter 34. God brings him to the top of a mountain Called Mount Nebo, the very pinnacle of which was called Pisgah. And it was there that God let him see farther than he had ever seen to view the land that God had promised them. And I wanna talk about this principle of leadership as we close out this series today. Leaders have vision, that means they don't merely see what is, they see what will be. As you begin to look at your own life personally, I want you to begin to see what God sees and ask God what he sees. Most human beings can only see what is. But I want you to begin to use your spiritual eyes to see what could be. Helen Keller was an author and speaker from a bygone era, rather famous figure. At one time, she was both blind and deaf from the time she was just an infant. Somebody once asked her, Helen, what would be worse than being born blind? Here's what she said. What would be worse than being born blind would be having sight but no vision. In other words, going through all of life with two healthy set of eyes, but still having no vision. You can see physically, you can see what is, but you can't see what will be. You can't see what might be, what must be. You can't see what God sees. And I want you to see what God sees. I want you today to see farther than you have ever seen, to see eternal realities. Now, I have stood on Mount Nebo in the very place In Deuteronomy 34, where Moses would have stood to view the land, if you ever go on the Holy Land tour with us, there's a good chance that you'll get to stand right here. It's in the country of Jordan, and we're standing here on Mount Nebo several years ago behind me is the promised land. And what you're seeing behind me is the Jordan Valley and the plains of Jericho, very near to where the children of Israel crossed over the Jordan into the promised land, about 1400 BC. And it's from here that you can see a panorama of the promised land, the land of Canaan, the modern land of Israel. You can see almost 60 miles in every direction from as far south as the Dead Sea to as far north as the Sea of Galilee. And you can see it's a very mountainous, very arid, dry region, but when you get down into the valley, it's exactly as God promised to this day, even 1400 B.C., in an otherwise dry and arid place. The valley is beautiful, it's bountiful, it is fruitful, it's truly a land that would flow with milk and honey. In Deuteronomy 34, God brings Moses up to Mount Nebo where I was standing to view the land. You've just seen what Moses would have seen described in Deuteronomy 34 and verse one. It says this, then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is across from Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead as far as Dan... All Naphtali and the land of Ephraim and Manasseh and all the land of Judah as far as the Western Sea to the south in the plain of the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, this is the land of which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have caused you to see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. What is the principle? What is God doing? Listen carefully. Vision comes from seeing what God sees. You see impossibilities as future realities. Forty years earlier, remember, Moses had sent 12 spies into the land. They had actually crossed into that land. They came back, but they did not see a future reality. All they saw was an impossibility. And when you begin to develop spiritual eyes the way God wants you to, not just physical eyes, but you start to have vision, not just sight, all of a sudden you begin to view impossibilities as future realities, divine realities. Remember, Jesus said with man, it is impossible. with God. All things are possible. And all of a sudden you begin to see what God sees. It was 22 years ago that most people just saw a little brick building This is where we began 22 years ago. And for a lot of people, this is all they could see. This is where we're meeting at this very moment 22 years ago. And after we built our first building and moved in, that little building down the street now, we call the Administrative Office Building. That was our first building. You know, people started coming to Abundant Life then, and I heard over and over again, Pastor Phil, we would've come sooner, but we didn't think anything could really be happening in that little building. I mean, we didn't think anything could be happening in that little house, see? They, they couldn't see what God sees. They couldn't see what would be see, in that little building, we saw more than merely what is. We saw what could be. We saw future realities, even though from that vantage point, it looked like impossibilities. And what God saw was not this little church called Abundant Life in this little broken down brick building that looked like a house on this little obscure block called Purcell's Road in Lee Summit, Missouri. What he saw was an eternal reality. What he saw 22 years later would be a church thousands and thousands strong that could take the gospel to this region and far beyond. See that's vision, seeing what God sees before it's a reality. Let me ask you, what do you see when you look at this building? 1840 Cherry in the crossroads of Kansas City, Missouri. For a lot of people, all they see is an empty warehouse. It was for many, many years, nothing more than a warehouse for a plumbing company, Now it's an empty warehouse, that's all most people see, but that's not what God sees. No, what God sees is not merely a warehouse, it's gonna become a church house. It's been a long and tedious process to finally get the permits, but renovation is about to begin, and a year from now, we'll be worshiping in a former warehouse what God sees is a church house. A 600-seat auditorium, on top of which is a beautiful View of downtown Kansas City with a great place to gather. Now, listen, not all of you can go to the crossroads to worship, okay? Some of you got to stay in Lee Summit, Independence, Blue Springs but I want you to see what God sees. Most people can only see what is. They cannot see what God sees, what will eventually be. You see, we need to have vision. That's what we are as leaders, as kingdom leaders, as followers of Jesus, beginning to see what Jesus sees. Let me ask you, what do you see when you see the skyline of Kansas City? Most people see skyscrapers, buildings with brick and mortar, but that is not merely what God sees. Let me tell you why we're going to the crossroads, the heart of Kansas City, because what God sees when he sees the skyline of our city is more than buildings with brick and mortar. What I see is thousands and thousands and thousands and tens of thousands and tens of thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of thousands of people who need Jesus. That's what God sees. And see, as kingdom leaders, as followers of Jesus, we need to start seeing what God sees, not merely what is. Most people see only what is today. They can't yet see what will be. I want you to start viewing your life differently. Don't see it for what it is. See it for what it might be. See it for what it could be. When you start to see what God sees. It was one year ago, at this very moment, there was a family that had been worshiping with us and following us online, part of our online service from Columbia, Tennessee, and we began to talk about this online campus, something brand new that God was going to do. And Benji and Misty Gentry began to see what God sees. When they looked at their house, they began to see a church house. And today, one year later, they are celebrating their one year anniversary with three or four other families. At this very moment, they are worshiping as members of abundant life in Middle Tennessee, all because an ordinary family began to get a vision and began to see what God sees. And all of a sudden, their home became a church home, and they are reaching now their neighbors for Jesus. This is what God sees. That's vision. Benji and Misty Gentry, it was about a year ago, a family in Cedar Falls, Iowa looked at their barn. Almost people, well, it's just a barn. A barn on the family farm, but Troy and Amy Price began to see what God sees. They renovated their barn into a church house, and today at this very moment, there's about 50 people sitting in this barn worshiping with us at this very hour. We need to see what God sees, future realities. Like It's hard for the average American church goer because we've always had one paradigm of church, a brick building, stained glass, a steeple, one location. We all got to come here to have church. No, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait a minute. If indeed the church has never been a building, the church is people, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that God dwells in us all. And if indeed Jesus said that we're two or three are gathered in my name, then what that means is your house can become a church house. And that's what's happening and I predict that what Benji and Misty are doing, one of the first ones, Hundreds and hundreds will follow, 10 years from now, hundreds of houses will become church houses all over America, people worshiping with abundant life from hundreds of miles away. You see, we can bemoan the new technology, and there's a downside, but the upside is technology has given us the chance to take the gospel farther, faster than ever, multiplying gatherings in new places and spaces to reach new people, but we need to see what God sees. And I'm telling you that because if you did what I did, like, I don't, I, I don't like calling the gospel an industry. It, it's not an industry, but, but think about it. Because I, I'm a pastor, like, I know what's going on kind of on the inside. And right now, pastors all over America are lamenting. Well, how do we get people to come back to church? What they mean is, how do we get people to come back to the building? Uh, Pre-COVID versus now, On site attendance at the average church in America is about 60% of what it was. So you got all these pastors lamenting. How do we get people to come back to the building? No, wait a minute. Why do they have to come back to the building to come back to church? See, they're going to church. But unless we as kingdom leaders start to see what God sees, we will miss the future of what God is doing. Yes, it's something brand new, but in the scope of church history, it's not new at all. Did you know that the fastest growing church in the world is the church at Iran? And in Iran, you cannot put a church sign on the front of a building with your service times. This is how they're growing at a rate of a million followers of Jesus a year. And now God has brought that here. You see, we have to see what God sees and simply follow where God is going. This is what leaders do. Now listen very carefully. There's a warning in this passage. Our sin and unbelief cannot limit God's plan for eternity, but it can limit God's plan for our lives personally. And what that means is God is sovereign. God has made a promise. His kingdom will come. His will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Promises delayed are not promises denied. God's plan for man from the very moment he created Adam was to establish a kingdom that would be without end. What sin has delayed, sin has not denied. God's going to have that kingdom whether or not we choose to follow God or not. What I mean is this, like 22 years ago, as God was calling me into the ministry, all I could see was little old me. Like God, I'm a cop, this is all I'm I'm gonna do, it's all I know to do. Like I've chosen my career. I'm going to do this the next 25 or 30 years. Let's suppose, just theoretically, let's let's just say I ran from the call of God, and I told my story recently, like I tried to run from the call of God because I was fearful of failure, and I was full of insecurity, and and I'm not ready. Let's just think about this for a moment, for for, for just a moment. What, What would have happened had there never been a pastor Phil? And for the next 25, 30 years, there's just this guy named Phil, just police officer Phil. That's what I was doing at the time. Let's just think about that for a moment. Does anybody really think that God in heaven would have been going, hey guys, he said no. (laughs) Phil said no, we're done. What are we gonna do? I don't have a plan. No, no, I'm not that important. Not in the whole scope of what God is doing. See, none of us are. God wasn't worried about whether or not I was going to answer the call of God and become a pastor. He wasn't worried about my decision. Here's what would have happened. Oh, Phil, I am so, so sad. You can't limit what I'm going to do, but you've just limited what I could do through you. See, that's what happens when we choose to walk in sin or unbelief, we don't limit the plan of God, he is sovereign, his kingdom will come with or without us. All that happens though is we miss out on what God could have done in us and through us if we don't see what God sees. I I don't know what would have happened. Would there be abundant life? I I don't know, Would, would there be another pastor? What I know is God would have chosen another to do what God wanted to do. God would have chosen another church to do instead with them and what instead of what he's doing now through me and you. So you see, we don't limit God. God is limitless, but we can limit what God would do with us if we simply say yes. And there's a sad kind of footnote on the end of Moses' life. There's a little sad asterisk in this text, this passage he had a stellar, stellar life. I mean, he's one of the heroes of the faith. He's in Hebrews chapter 11, the, the, the hall of faith, the hall of fame. There's no question about it, but, but, but he had an issue with sin. And we all do, and there's not one among us that will leave this earth unblemished with a perfect spotless record. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we need redemption. But Moses had an anger problem, and it would follow him around all of his life. And what we find out is he sinned in a moment And this is the reason God did not let him go into the promised land. He took him up to Mount Nebo simply so he could view the land. I want you to see it says in verse four, then the Lord said to him, this is the land of which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have caused you to see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. Say what happened? What was so grievous, such a sin that God wouldn't let him cross over? Well, we're told something happens in Numbers chapter 20. Don't have Time to read it, you can read it on your own. Let me just tell you what happened. So, Years and years earlier, when Israel was new into the promised land, they just started their journey, maybe just a couple of months in. They're in this desert. There's no water to drink. God's gonna do a miracle. He tells Moses to strike a rock with his rod and out of the rock, as Moses strikes the rock, water would pour out of that rock enough to water two million people and all their livestock. Now, Numbers chapter 20, like 30 years later, the same situation, and the people are complaining. I mean, these people that he was leading from Egyptian tyranny, you'd think they would be grateful, they're free, but over and over again, they're griping, complaining, criticizing. Moses, you brought us out here to this wilderness to die of starvation and thirst and wah, 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 poochie lip. Followers of Jesus. You would think after 30 years, God's provided over and over again that they would trust God, but no, 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 always looking back to Egypt. Boy, it was so great being a slave. People are hard to lead. Leadership principle, leadership is hard. People are hard to lead. Now, I gotta tell you, I have been so deeply blessed to be your pastor. I just want you to know, after 22 years, I am so thankful To have such a supportive church. It's been a joy to lead our church. Thank you. Now, there's a few exceptions. Along the way, there's been a few exceptions. You know who you are. (laughs) Names will remain unnamed. I'm just saying, I'm so thankful. I really am. It's a joy to be your pastor. But when you look in the life of Moses, I'm talking leadership principle after leadership principle. People are hard to lead. These were a hard people to lead. In a fit of rage, they're complaining, they're griping. God says, okay, this time, don't strike the rock. I want you to speak to the rock. But in kind of in a fit of anger and frustration, he looks at him, you bunch of rebels, bam, he hits the rock a second time. In Numbers 20, you can read the text. He says, Moses, that's gonna cost you. Because of your sin and unbelief, I'm not gonna let you cross into the promised land. Now you think, Phil, that that seems like a really harsh penalty, like it doesn't feel like the punishment fits the crime. You need to understand another leadership principle. As you rise in leadership, as you rise in responsibility and authority, you rise in the level of accountability. Jesus said to whom much is given, much more will be required. Moses had been given much, And for that reason, because he'd been given so much, he was accountable for so much. And the reality is simply this. As you rise in influence and leadership, the accountability rises too. And if you read the text in Numbers 20, what God says is because you did not hallow me before the people. In other words, because you did not set a good example and take my word seriously, now many of them that follow you will not take my word seriously. Moses is gonna cost you. And that's why he doesn't let him go into the land. Now you need to understand the reason why this matters so much because the Old Testament is a word picture and this rock is a picture of Christ. In fact, Jesus would say this in John 5, 46, 1,400 years after Moses, he would look at the unbelieving Pharisees who had memorized the writings of Moses. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, the Torah or the Pentateuch, and the Pharisees would have memorized those books by heart. And look at what Jesus said to them, for if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. Now, if you read the first five books of the Bible, at no place on any page did Moses pin the name Jesus. Not there. But Jesus said he wrote of me. How then did he write of him? If he didn't pin the name Jesus, Moses wrote of him through word pictures. And this is why I nerd out over the Old Testament. It is a picture book. It is a remarkable book of prophetic pictures all pointing to Jesus. And Moses messed up the picture that God was painting. By the way, this is why the church can't unhitch itself from the Old Testament. There's a very prominent Christian leader of our generation. I actually have admiration for him, but but what he's been known for saying recently is the church needs to unhitch itself from the Old Testament. And I understand what he means by that. The spirit of what he means by that is to say, look, the condition for salvation is not whether or not somebody believes in a literal creation and a literal seven days in Genesis chapter one, or it, it, it's not the condition of salvation whether or not you believe Jonah was actually swallowed by a whale and spent three days and three nights in the belly of the whale. What he's trying to say is the condition of salvation, the condition of being a Christian, is the death, burial, and resurrection. That's it. So stop making it about all these other things. But, but, but here's what I want you to see. This is the reason the church cannot unhitch itself from the Old Testament because Jesus is on every single page over and over again. If you don't understand the Old Testament, you can't fully understand the New Testament. And in this case, the rock is a picture of of Jesus, and we don't have to guess because Paul, in the New Testament commentary, 1400 years later, would look back on the Exodus story, and here's what he would say, 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 1, moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all of our fathers, speaking of the Jewish fathers, were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, speaking of the Red Sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, speaking of that manna that came down from heaven, and all drank from the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Throughout Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, the rock is a picture of Jesus. The rock personifies the Son of God. Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 7, the wise build their life upon the rock. He said in Matthew chapter 16 that he would build his church upon the rock, speaking of himself. Now, many have erroneously taught that what he meant was that, that, that Peter was the rock, and he'd build his church upon Peter as the rock. But that is so silly because even Peter... In 1 Thessalon- oh, Peter, he didn't write Thessalonians, that was Paul. In 1 Peter chapter 2, check this out, Peter four times calls Jesus the rock. No, no confusion in Peter's mind what Jesus meant. Four times in his letter, 1 Peter chapter 2, he calls Jesus a living stone, the chief cornerstone, a stumbling stone, and a rock of offense, four times. You see, the imagery is clear. The rock is Jesus. And as Moses struck the rock the first time, it was a picture of the father striking his son for our sin so he would not have to strike you. And this is the picture that God was painting. The rock is a picture of Christ struck once for sin to bring forth living water, eternal life. And Jesus himself would use this very image 1,400 years after Moses as he would sit down in John chapter four at a well with a Samaritan woman. She had gone there to draw water, to drink. But he said, woman, you're gonna have to draw this water over and over again. No matter how much you drink, you'll have to come back again. But look at what he said. Says in John 4:14, 4, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. As Moses struck the rock the first time, Exodus 17, water pours out of the rock. It is a picture of what Jesus would say to this woman at the well. You've been drinking the wrong water. You have been drinking from the wrong well. Do you understand that every single time you sin, what you're saying is, I am looking for the water that will give me life, but all it can do is bring death. You see, all the world's wells are poisoned and cannot give life, but Jesus is the one that has eternal life life and when you put your faith in him having been struck for your sin he has got the water a wellspring of life so that you never have to thirst again you see the word picture now there's a word picture God was painting and now you start to see why it mattered so deeply to our God when Moses struck the rock a second time. You see, the reality is when Moses struck the rock a second time, it distorted God's picture. Christ died once for sins, never to die again. First Peter 3:18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. God looked at Moses and said, Mo. You just messed up the picture I've been painting for a thousand years. Moral of the story, don't mess with God's word. Don't mess with God's word, he takes it very seriously. We live at a time where pastors, preachers, theologians all wanna mess with God's word to make it more palatable for this new modern generation. It's a very serious thing. I want you to see what God sees. Having true vision means seeing more than what is. It's seeing eternal realities. Most people can only see what is, what's right in front of them, in time. But God wants you to see beyond time and begin seeing into eternity. There are eternal realities, eternal destinies. We live at a time where men wanna mess with God's word. Well, you know, maybe there's not a hell, or maybe hell doesn't last forever. Maybe that's not an eternal reality. You, you see this a lot, it's trending. Something called Christian universalism. Church, there is nothing Christian about universalism. That's pagan. Universalism says, well, in the end, everybody goes to heaven. Christian universalism. that's like saying Christian cocaine. And normally, it starts out like this, just question. Listen, the, the goal of leadership, again, the leadership principle, this is a leadership series, the purpose of leadership is to bring clarity, not confusion. The purpose of leadership is to define reality in an age that is really cloudy. And you don't have to ask a question where the Bible makes a statement. You don't put a question mark where the Bible puts a period. So a false teacher, you, you know one kind of right away. Well, what does Satan do in Genesis three and verse one? The very first recorded words of our adversary, our enemy. He didn't deny the word of God, he just got Eve to doubt the word of God. He said, hey, Eve, has God really said? Are you sure? So it goes something like this. Well, you know, maybe we've misunderstood this doctrine of hell. I mean, maybe it's not eternal. Maybe it's just kind of more of an allegory. That's how it starts, just planting seeds of doubt. Listen, you're not impressing us with your intelligence just because you can now question divine facts. Yet that's the age in which we live. I'm gonna just say flat-footed, on the authority of God's word, any pastor or preacher that teaches there is no hell is gonna have hell to pay. Now, I didn't say, I don't know, this is really unpopular preaching. I mean, it's crazy I would even be up here saying this stuff in this age where, you know, it's all love soup and happy clappy and Jesus loves me. You understand the significance of the love of God? The significance of the love of God is that we don't deserve the love of God. As a matter of fact, the Bible describes us as apart from Jesus, the enemy of God. He is holy, he is sinless, and we are sinful. full. You see, we don't deserve the love of God. That's why we sing about the love of God and celebrate the love of God, not because we earn it, like we, we should get it, What we deserve is the wrath of God, but here's the point. God poured out his wrath on the sinless son of God so he would not have to pour it out on you. His holiness demands a penalty. His holiness demands justice. As Moses struck the rock, it was a picture of God the Father striking his own son. It's Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows We esteemed him as stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. He took the beating and the stripes. God struck him for our sin. That's how much God loved you. And only when you understand that does the love of God become profound, and the average American thinks, well, of course God loves me. I'm awesome. You don't need to put a question mark where God puts a period. Jesus said this in Mark 9, you don't you, you don't like preaching on hell? Take it up with Jesus. He preached four times more on hell than he did heaven. Go on, read the, word, read the words in red. Go ahead, do this. Count every single time the words in red. Count every verse on heaven and then count every verse on hell. Four times more on hell than heaven. It must be serious. Jesus took it serious. Mark 9:44. 44, hell is where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched, period. Don't put a question mark where Jesus put a period. Well, maybe people temporarily go to hell and then they're resurrected stand before God where they confess Jesus then and go to heaven. That's called Christian universalism. Have you read the end of the Bible? Read the end of Revelation chapter 20. Here's what it says There's a book in heaven called the Book of Life. If your name is not in the Book of Life, it's like the registry of heaven. One day, God's going at the great white throne judgment, open the Book of Life. He's going to look for your name. If your name is not there, it says you will be cast into the lake of fire. That is an eternal reality. It's sobering, I know. But there's another eternal reality there's another eternal reality, another eternal destiny. I want you to see what God sees, not merely what is, but what will be. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If we're not so, I would have told you, and I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. It's an eternal reality. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. It's an eternal reality. First Corinthians 15, O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our our Lord his kingdom will come his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven God's plan for a kingdom has been delayed by sin but has not been destroyed by sin God is going to have a kingdom and I will promise you one day there's going to be a glorious reunion around the throne of God Eye has not seen nor ear heard nor has entered in the hearts of men the things that God has prepared for them who love Him. And I'm telling you that because we need to focus on eternal realities. If you just focus on what is, it can seem hopeless. I did not get 10 feet down the hallway this morning before the first service. Back of house in the green room getting prayed up and prepared up like I always do. I come out to hang with y'all. I didn't get 10 feet down the hallway. First three people I talked today have recently lost this week a close friend or family member. It's a season that is really sad for many people. Only one of them was COVID related Life is hard in this sin-cursed creation. No one is an exemption. No one (laughs) gets a pass. And in those seasons, if you don't focus on divine realities and you just focus on what is, it can seem hopeless. And this is what it means to have vision. This is what it means to have more than sight and real vision. To believe the promises of God that seem so far off, this is what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 11:13, 13, the, the hall of faith. Specifically, these verses have to do with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whom God promised one day their descendants would enter the promised land and become a great nation. Look what it says about them. These all died in faith, not having received the promises. God, where are the promises? Where is this kingdom that you promised? It's still far off, but it's coming. Right now, we possess it by faith. One day, we will possess it by sight. He says, But having seen them, the promises afar off were assured of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come, they would have had an opportunity to return. But now they desire a better that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city. My friends, listen carefully. There is a heavenly country, and we are kingdom citizens, of which there is a capital city. It's known as heaven, and one day that will become a reality. Right now we possess it by faith. One day we'll know it by sight. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. Our treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. And only when you begin to see what God sees can you pass through this world with joy and hope instead of pain and suffering. Romans 8:18, 8, the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be even closely compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. Hallelujah. All six of us are excited about that. (laughs) To God be the glory. Now there's one last thing I wanna show you. John 34 verse seven. Moses was 120 years old when he died. He lived to be 120, that's a pretty good run. But he died. And unless Jesus returns very soon, one day we will all too. But that's not the end, that's only the beginning. He's 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not dim, nor his natural vigor diminished. And the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. So the days of weeping and mourning for Moses ended. Now Joshua, don't miss this. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. Moses, before he died, physically put his hands upon Joshua in front of Israel. And in so doing, he was naming him his successor. This is the man that's gonna lead you into the promised land. Now, historically, the reason Moses didn't go over, because he sinned, it was a serious sin. Theologically, this is amazing. Talk about pictures, I'm convinced there's more to it. Moses was the lawgiver, Moses is the one that came down from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments. Moses could not lead them into the promised land because the law, keeping a list of things to do, mere religion cannot save you. You don't get into heaven based on anything you do for God. You get into heaven based solely on what the Son of God has done for you. It is not of works of righteousness we have done, but by his mercy, he has saved us. You see, Moses represents the law, and the law cannot save you. You know why? Because the law demands perfection, and when you attempt to cross over into the promised land by keeping a list of things to do, all it can do is condemn you. It cannot save you, Because you have to be perfect. That's why you need Joshua. Providentially, not accidentally, the man that would lead them into the promised land is a man named Yeshua, Joshua. Same name in the Hebrew as the name Jesus in the Greek. Moses, the law, cannot lead you into the promised land. Only Jesus, your Joshua, can lead you to life abundantly as you choose to begin to follow him. Have you made that decision? Has there been a moment in your life that you placed your faith in Jesus Christ exclusively and what he did at Calvary, that he was struck for your sin Not religion, not church affiliation, not religious tradition. I'm talking redemption. Has there been a moment like that for you? Watching online over and under the campuses, Independence Blue Springs, I'm about to pray a prayer of faith. And when I say amen, if you pray this with me, I want you to go to your pastor on the platform. If you're online, click the link. We wanna help you take your next steps. We wanna help you cross over into all the promises of God in the promised land spiritually, right here, Lee Summit Auditorium, I'm gonna pray. And if you're not certain today of where you would be if you opened your eyes in eternity, today is the day to see what God sees, to see eternal realities, to see an eternal destiny and redefine it forever. I want you to bow with me right now with every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're not certain today, I want you to pray right now. Right where you sit, the quietness of this hour between you and Jesus alone. God will hear your prayer, he'll forgive your sin. Defining moment right now that will define your future forever. Pray this with me, Jesus, I know that I've sinned. I cannot get to heaven apart from you. But I believe you were that rock struck for my sin and from you comes a well of water, eternal life that I may drink freely. I believe you died for my sin that you rose again. Today I ask you to forgive me of my sin, come into my life, and change me from within. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Would you give Jesus the glory with me today? He's worthy, isn't he? (laughs) Church, I love you so very deeply. Thank you for your faithfulness to Jesus. He is worthy. He is worthy of our worship, isn't he? I hope you have a super blessed Sunday. Go Jesus. (laughs) Have a great one. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure and subscribe and share with a friend. We hope today's message inspired and challenged you. Let's go be living proof, of a loving God to a watching world. For more information about abundant life, visit livingproof.co or follow us on social media at abundantlifels.